The Curbsiders Podcast is for entertainment, education, and information purposes only, and the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. Furthermore, the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of those and should not be interpreted to reflect official policy or position of any entity, aside from possibly cash like moral hospital and affiliate outreach programs, if indeed there are any. In fact, there are none. Pretty much, we are responsible if you screw up. You should always do your own homework and let us know when we're wrong. Welcome back to the Curbsiders Teach Season 2, our mini-series on medical education. I'm Dr. Molly Hoyblein, joined by my co-host, Dr. Ira Kurzhanovskaya. On tonight's episode, we'll discuss community engagement in health professions education with Aisha Queen-Johnson, MSW. Before we get started with that, Ira, will you remind the audience what we do on this show? Sure, Molly. We are the internal medicine podcast for all things medical education. We use expert interviews to bring you teaching pearls and practice changing knowledge to inspire the next generation of medical educators. We have a fantastic conversation with our guest, Aisha Queen Johnson. We cover community engagement and health professions education. What does this look like? How does one identify community partners? How do we sustain these initiatives? And how do we help learners reflect on the health disparities in their communities, but also the strengths of their communities? Aisha Queen Johnson is the Administrative Program Director for UCSF's Program in Medical Education for the Urban Underserved, Prime US, and supports the education and training component of UCSF's Center for Community Engagement. She directs the Community Engagement Curriculum for Prime US and supports community-engaged learning campus-wide. Aisha has a master's degree in social work from San Francisco State University with over 15 years in nonprofit sectors, providing direct services to children, youth, and families in San Francisco. And a reminder that most episodes are available for free CME credit through VCU Health CE for all health professionals at curbsiders.vcuhealth.org. All you have to do is create an account. So without further ado, let's get to it. Well, Aisha, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, We are really excited to talk about community engagement today. But first, we just like to start with some rapid fire questions so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. Could you start with a one-liner to describe yourself, including some things that you enjoy outside of work? Yeah, well, I'm a San Francisco native. I'm a big foodie. I'm a social justice um, advocate, and I'm a wife and mother of two. From one foodie to another, have you uh, partaken of anything recently, Aisha, that you want to share with our listeners? Any locations or a particular food item? I tried a new dumpling place in the city called Bao on 17th and Valencia, and it was delicious. So I do recommend that one. I love it. I love it. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, Well, flipping from uh, food to food for thought, is there a book or a movie or a show that you recently enjoyed? Right now I'm reading uh, Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, and uh, I really am appreciating her take on having courage to step into your own power and finding your voice and okay to be vulnerable. Excellent advice. Do you have something that you are working on or that you have changed when you look back at kind of your work in teaching students or your work in community engagement, things that kind of you didn't used to do five years ago that you're working on doing now? Uh, I think slowing down and trying to be really specific about the learning objectives or what I'm hoping people will get out of an experience And I think community engagement can feel really big. And I think having the opportunity to kind of narrow in on specific learning objectives, whether it's getting to know people, finding your own voice, um, understanding why you're interested in doing community engagement. So I think being really specific and slowing down the need to be perfect and the need to get it all right. So I think I've learned a little bit about that. 
I love that. And actually, on the topic of slowing down, I realized, Aisha, do you prefer that we call you Aisha? Or is there another uh, name or pref- uh, way that you'd like to be called that we should reference? No, Aisha's perfect. Awesome. Well, Aisha, is there another piece of advice or feedback uh, maybe that you've received during your career uh, that was specifically very meaningful to you? I would say being a social worker in direct service, I always wanted to make sure I solved a problem or fix something. And an advice somebody gave me, a supervisor gave me, was that that's not my role. It's really to help people along their journey and to find their own process and ways of thinking and identifying their own abilities. So it's not always to fix and solve problems, (laughs) um, but to really help people on their own journeys. Excellent. Yara, do you have a pick of the week? Great question, Molly. I do. I've been watching um, a lot of Netflix shows recently and movies. And uh, a recent one that just came out with season six is uh, Peaky Blinders. And I don't know if y'all have uh, watched the show, but it's like just too violent and just too, um, I don't even know, gory, I guess, uh, for me. But there, but the plot lines of the character and the uh, of what goes on to this, with this family that's um, kind of in Birmingham, England, but has um, a Romani kind of gypsy roots is really fascinating. So I'm, I'm all there for the characters and the storylines, but it's just so violent that sometimes I have to like... You know, this is the opposite of the advice that Aisha just told us about slowing down. I'm like, how can I watch this on 2x or 10 seconds advanced so that I don't see another person get shot? Like, but uh, oh, but it's 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 very fascinating because you see the lives of kind of a little bit of a rags to riches story uh, for this one family and just how intertwined they really are. Um, and kind of, it's also very historical. Uh, I have an interest in addiction medicine, and they talk about uh, the um, power of opium for a lot of these young men that went to war, specifically World War One, and came back kind of addicted to it because it was the only thing that um, helped them process the trauma. So, just a lot of really incredible stories and um, very fascinating character development. But just for anyone who like trigger warning, it's quite violent. So, just two x that or. 10 seconds advance. (laughs) (laughs) Molly, what about you? Sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, I'll recommend a book I read recently called Wildwood Whispers by Willa Reese. Um, It's a book about a young woman who lives in, I think like in the Appalachian Mountains, um, who kind of reconnects to her childhood home in a way that she didn't even know she had this connection to. Um, And it's a little bit magical. She's kind of in this community of women healers who almost have like witch powers a little bit, but um, a lot about kind of women supporting each other and healing in different ways um, and reconnecting with kind of your bigger, broader society and community. Um, And it was just a a fun read. I love that. What an antithesis to Peaky Blinders. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Who who wrote it, Molly? It's it's not very violent. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It is written by uh, Willa Reese. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Let's check that out. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's hop into the topic here. Um, Ira, could you give us a case to start off? For sure. So we have a case from Cashlack Memorial, and Amanda is an early career clinician educator. She's interested in participating more in undergraduate medical education. She just heard that the administration is hoping to add in a community engagement thread to their curriculum. 
Amanda wishes that she had had that component during her training and is excited to think about how students can engage more with the community around them. She is curious if there is a framework that can help her start to create a curriculum around engaging with the community, or if there are other ways to start to ensure that service learning can be done well for, specifically in this case, medical students. So Aisha, to start us off, um, can you just kind of orient us and the audience about what community engagement for health professions education actually is? What does it entail? Is it a competency, something that we're kind of orienting and assessing? Uh, just give us a little bit of background, please, about this topic. Yes. So um, community engagement, I think, is a really important element in clinical training and addressing health inequities. I think it provides an opportunity to learn about the lived experience of individuals and their communities, where people live or where they work or how they're supported. It offers an understanding of the broader context of health and, you know, how social factors contribute to the well-being of individuals and communities. And I think it's, it can be a bridge to institutional and community expertise and knowledge. And building health communities, I think, is important to be done in tandem and not in silos. And um, it can be really effective in partnership. For competencies, I think, yeah, I, I, you know, I, community engagement is something that I think, depending on if there's a program or if there's um, a course, there's defined community competencies around assessment of a community, community relationship building, and how do you define the social determinants of health. Um, so I think it really kind of depends on how a person is engaging in a curricular aspect of whether a competency would be applied or not. That sounds like an incredibly powerful learning tool for for our learners. Um, and this is not something that I had in training, so it, this is kind of new to me. And when I was trying to learn more about this in preparation for this episode, I came across a few different terms. And do you consider community engagement synonymous with service learning? And also, how does it kind of overlap or differ from community service? I think service learning and community engagement sometimes are interchangeable terms. But what I what I personally believe is that community engagement is a little more broad and encompassing more of a continuum of community experiences where it could be outreach or one touch points, or it can be like a really in-depth long-term um, engagement where people are working on policy um, implementation and or changes or program innovations. So I think that definitely they're used both, but I prefer community engagement because it, it seems bi-directional, whereas service can be one direction at times. And then I think where it may differ from community services, I think it takes it one step further. And especially in an educational setting, community engagement has the opportunity to um, you, there's a component of identifying learning objectives or what you'd like to learn about the community or the topic that you're engaging in. And then there's a key component, which is called critical reflection. And is it after you've experienced your engagement in the project or with a community, you know, what are you taking away from that? What have you learned? What has surprised you? What has resonated or it confirmed a notion that you already may have known? And then after that, it's thinking about, well, how has this experience maybe changed the way you may act in the future? So I would say that they're all community engagement, but I think that service learning could take community engagement one step further or community service one step further, a little bit more in depth. And Aisha, I feel like you've already pumped me up to be really excited about community engagement, even in the first couple of minutes of this uh, episode. And I and I just wonder, maybe uh, you can kind of 
go through for us, what are the benefits of integrating community engagement curricula into health professions education more broadly? And some of the benefits are that the learners are going to be able to witness and learn from a first person's lived experience about what are some barriers and facilitators to health. You'll learn from first person expertise, community wisdom, what are some of the resources that a community holds that can support the health of an individual and their community. And I think with that, you're able to identify some real tangible and innovative solutions to addressing health inequities. What are some common roadblocks that Amanda might face when she's trying to get more involved in community engagement in her program? I would say time. (laughs) Time is the biggest constraint. I think there's so much packed into medical education that identifying time and consistency with your engagement and your participation tends to be a pretty big roadblock. And I think just identifying what your availability and being really clear about that helps to then set yourself up to if you are going to engage, you understand what some of your limitations are and identifying a project that could really utilize someone within, say, it's five days or it's, you know, over five months or it's going to be, you know, two times in, in the week. So it helps to kind of just narrow down what that can look like. And then I think just, um, Another roadblock would be identifying a clear communication strategy, like about what your expectations are, what the scope of work is. Um, I think oftentimes people are get really excited and get going and get rushed and overlook some of the very simple steps of what is your communication strategy going to be with a partner. And then what are the expected outcomes and what are some potential benchmarks of success that you can kind of revisit throughout the duration of your project? And Aisha, in thinking about kind of Amanda's excitement to start a curricula. Uh, could you, curriculum, excuse me, could you maybe give us an example of um, a community engagement initiative that has gone well, that maybe took into account those communication styles and, and really thought about what uh, time um, and consistency participants have, both kind of from the faculty side, staff side, community side, maybe if you have some particular examples to share that really highlight that? Yeah, I would say... One project that, um, so I'm, I lead the community engagement for UCSF's Prime program, and a key component of our curriculum is community engagement projects and opportunities. And one project that we participated is working with a community clinic that worked with young people. And for our curriculum, we had maybe five afternoons <laughs> um, over a three-month period of time. And so we asked the organization if there were opportunities for medical students to not only learn about their community that they service and the programming that they had, but is there a project that our students could participate that they were already developing, but we could kind of push along and help extend it. And they identified they had just received an open lot outside and that they would love to transform transform that into a um, a positive healing space for young people. And they wanted to be really um, youth-driven. And so our participants um, set up a session where we would work with the young people and did focus groups, really trying to identify what healing meant to the participants and then participated in articulating what the healing meant to them and back to the leadership And then they spent time looking at what programming would come, what did the physical space look like, and then our students then participated in supporting, creating that space as well. I think what that took into account is 
we took into account the time commitment that we had, what the availability of young people. So we may have had to move some of our programming, which was maybe a two to five. It might have had to been a little bit later in the evening or even on the weekend. So it needed some flexibility. And then communicating about Uh, the communication strategies of what this would look, who is responsible for recruiting the participants to come and talk in these focus groups. All these little logistical details were really important to the success of the project, given that we only had five afternoons to complete the project. So we tried to think about those kind of strategies around communicating really clearly what our limitations, um, what were the needs of the clinic, and how we were going to meet those within a given constraint of time. That sounds like a beautiful project. Has the space come together? It has. It has and keeps evolving. And it was, and what I think was really beautiful was that it allowed for a space for the clients of the clinic to share their own voice and participate in their own healing. And I think for our students, our learners to to understand that and learn about that was really powerful because it became an experience where people were able to create a healing space and identify what healing meant. And it wasn't just the clinical model. It incorporated the voices of both. I can imagine that's so powerful for the students to kind of get out of exactly you said the clinical mindset of here are facts and here are things to regurgitate back and and just think broader. That's great. What do you think are key components of a successful community informed and community engaged initiative or curriculum? Um, I would have to say that community engagement is really about relationship building and establishing trust. So I think getting students to understand that it takes a lot of time and that takes an awareness of power and position. And um, when you're coming from the inst- an institution of higher learning or education or medicine, that there's a lot of power imbalances that take place. And it's important to be aware of that as you're engaging and providing time and space for people to get to know you. So I think one strategy is really being transparent about why you're interested in partnering, why you're interested in a specific topic or a community, and um, time, resources, and then really being really clear about who's responsible for what and making sure that there's reflection opportunities provided throughout uh, an engaged project. I think those would be some of the, and making sure that something's uh, mutually beneficial. And Aisha, I wonder how important um, for you, just because you, you know, run these uh, curricula and these initiatives, um, that the leadership and the buy-in and the institutional kind of mission is aligned with your mission. Because I think the piece that you just mentioned about the relationship building and establishing trust like you said, takes a lot of time. And so I just wonder how that kind of getting that buy-in, how that's happened for you over time, or, you know, maybe it's continuing to happen all the time and revisiting just how other, you know, listeners who are thinking about this um, can learn from your experience. Yeah, I think it's important. I think as academic health centers become more interested in addressing social determinants of health and thinking about the lens of an anti-racist or anti-oppressive curriculum and what does that look like. I think having community-engaged opportunities for learners to really um, hear and learn for community expertise around innovations that have um, already taken place that have been successful within the community It's very important, and I think that's one strategy at achieving that, and it's not necessarily a case study, but it's happening in real time. And so I think reiterating that by having examples of where things have been very successful has been super important in 
advocating for more community-engaged opportunities. Student voice is huge, (laughs) and students, I think, are really clamoring for more opportunity to understand the lived experience of individuals who are affected disproportionately by poor health outcomes, and what does that mean? Um, And then not only just the negative side of it, but also what are some of the resiliency and community-proven efforts that have made addressing health a little more successful in their own communities. So I think those are some strategies that I've used (laughs) to try to gain more input. I do think it takes a lot of resources in terms of people power. I think often community has experienced the university being very extractive, like taking away and I think it's important for us to have investment. So investing also in people and time and resources around making the, like, what does it mean to be a partner? And I think that lends itself to establishing policies and procedures about how we partner and reiterating that and thinking about communication strategies. I think also having people who are identified as leaders within an institution allow for community partners to come to a specific person or program to be able to help navigate relationships and or opportunities um, for partnership. So I think there's a lot that goes into it. It's a constant reiterating of the importance of it. And you mentioned a few times just how much effort and time goes into creating these partnerships. Are they often community groups that you have worked with year after year and you find specific smaller projects that students can do within those or like the work with the clinic was a one-off thing and next year you have a totally different partner? I think that's where like the resources of having like a a staff or a faculty person who can hold relationships when students cycle in and out is very important. So I may have a relationship with a given clinic, but I can guarantee that every year I can have a, a group of students that can come in and support the work that they're doing. And I can take some of the onus off of the organization of doing some of the groundwork around, you know, introduction of what this community is and and what the expectations are of students and making sure that they understand some of the best practices in community engagement. And uh, so I guess there are, I have built relationships with various different organizations and I do my best to try to get the learners to come in and just support work that's already been identified as important. And that's already ongoing by the community. And regardless of whether we're there or not, the projects will continue, but we're there to help support the momentum or pushing an, an effort or a policy or a program further along. And so you got to get a little creative. I work with students. I work with um, residents. So at different levels and their schedules can be different and their opportunity to kind of engage because their skill sets are different from first years to residents. So we're able to um, provide opportunity for different levels of depth of a project when we're able to support work with both residents and students. That's amazing. How did you get into this work? So I'm a social worker by training, and uh, I worked in nonprofit organizations in San Francisco for about 15 years prior to coming to UCSF and happened to be actually a community partner <laughs> with, uh, with higher ed and learners. And um, although really well-intentioned, I would have students that come in and uh, I have this great project. I want to learn about the parenting norms of pregnant and parenting teens and Again, going in and taking the stories and wanting to learn more about the norms of of the people that I worked with, but really there wasn't a lot of benefit that would have been offered to the people that I was, the programs that I was directing. 
So that gave me an idea like, well, not to be a gatekeeper, but how can we, you know, this is going to take a little bit more time than the month that you have to work on this project. And so um, through experience of being a partner and wanting to ensure that there's some mutual beneficial um, components to any partnership that engages with the university. And then also uh, just learning about how the university is really interested in, in being more a more effective partner. And so when an opportunity came up to support learners and the, the university and what that meant to be a, a, a really good partner, I took the bait and I've been hooked ever since. <laughs> Well, we are so lucky you took the bait because I feel like, honestly, Aisha, you're not only this incredible liaison uh, in a lot of ways and your your institutional knowledge, but you're, it feels like engage, community engagement personified. Like you kind of are the person who has built up these incredible relationships and has introduced the, the idea that this is all bi-directional and kind of how can we figure out ways to maintain the trust and maintain the momentum that you just described. So, man, we are very lucky is the bottom line that uh, that you that you joined UCSF. But um, maybe to think back to Amanda as if she was the person coming to you as this community partner and now kind of in community engagement guru that you are, Aisha, do you have any suggestions to her on how to choose a particular project or even kind of practical tips to make sure that the initiative that she's hoping to work on really reflects the needs of her community? I think identifying a, a community partner or a topic that you're interested in doing a little research on who are some folks that are working on that within the community that you work or live, and then doing a little reflection beforehand to understand, like, why is this important to you? So that when you come to your partner, they're going to be skeptical. <laughs> and so they want to like, what is it about this project or this community that you're interested in working with? So have a clear understanding of why you want to do this work. And then doing a little bit of homework about who are some folks out there that are doing some of the work that you're interested in. And then I would do some assessment of the community or the, or the topic, you know, um, whether it's a neighborhood you're interested in, find out some data about it, and then also do some understanding of who are some community leaders, do some interviews, be curious about what are some of the assets that are taking place in a community. So not just the deficits. A lot of times we want to fix problems and fix issues. Um, and so we highlight the deficits, but it's important to really also highlight the assets of a community because I think that's where your hook is and you're going to be able to not only work to address the deficits or the issues that are taking place, but through the assets, you're able to have a greater impact. I would also interview other organizations or, or programs that have been successful in community partnerships and learn from their, their successes and some challenges that they might have had. And what are some of the instructional strategies used in community engagement curricula? Like, are there key didactic or reflective exercises that should occur? Uh, one framework that I find really important to ground um, folks before they even think about doing community engagement is cultural humility. And um, the tenets of cultural humility apply so and overlay so beautifully on community-engaged work. And uh, Drs. Melanie Turvalon and Jane Marie Garcia were instrumental in developing cultural humility, where they have you think about your personal lifelong commitment to self-reflection and learning. You can never be fully competent, but to be curious and to want to understand more and understand the power dynamics that take place in either an individual encounter and or an encounter as a person or a group 
with a community partner and to find really meaningful and respectful ways to partner. And then just to make sure that you're holding the institution and yourself accountable to whatever relationships and outcomes that you're agreeing to. So those tenets of culture humility are really important. So I encourage folks to really ground and base their work in understanding that framework at the very beginning. And then I would also um, review best practices in community engagement. Community Campus Partnerships and Health is an organization that has been instrumental in identifying some best practices when partnering with community members. And so they have a whole list of steps that you would want to take in ahead of time. Um, so understanding what that is, learning about healthy community assessments. So again, very asset-based is another strategy that I think is really important for learners to have at the beginning if you're creating a curriculum to understand that modality of doing a healthy community assessment. And then really understanding the benefits of critical reflection. And that can be done written and also in group settings and with community members, allowing for that time. Because I think you learn so much from your own pausing and slowing down and thinking about what you just experienced. And then in dialogue with other folks that you have had the opportunity to participate in this project with. I think can be really powerful. And then take it one step further if you have time and you should implement this is to really have opportunity to reflect with your community partners about what you're learning. What did they learn about you? What did they learn about um, the medical institution or the training? Um, so I think those are would be some that I would say would be key. I love that, Aisha. It's so practical. And I wonder, just kind of putting on my historian hat, which doesn't really exist. It's just put on today. But uh, <laughs> how did this practice come about? Because the power of reflection is so universal in health professions education. And I, I also feel like it's entirely integral and centered in a community engagement project. So I just wonder, how did someone, like, did you come up and you're like, guys, I think we should all sit down and reflect for a little bit or where this kind of practice started out? I think trying to figure out like, how do you assess the power of this work? And like, is there a test you take or is there, you know, and so I think that thinking about how do you understand the depth of somebody's experience or what they're taking away or what they've learned about people or about systems or about um, structures that affect communities. And I think reflection is just key is a key way of learning and a key way of assessing people's depth of understanding about their own process of learning. And then also, again, it's that relationship building where you're able to share your experience. So I think that um, doing a little bit of research, and I think that exists in the service learning world out there, that reflection is a key component. But then after having done this work for so many years, it's been an opportunity for us to really see that through that reflection, is where I find that where you get it just because aha, you have these aha moments when you're able to kind of discuss it. That's amazing. Um, I'm just curious, you know, since you do have this wealth of information, would you, can you share another project that you've been especially proud of working on or another project that the students really had a, a strong aha moment from? Um, yeah, there was a, another project where our students partnered with a youth development and job training program. So the transitional aged youth was the, the age group. And um, they asked a few medical students, could you come in and just talk about health pathways, you know, and careers, uh, health careers? And um, so they went in and they thought, yeah, well, let me also talk about why What's my mission and purpose in going into health? And that was around to address health disparities and described what health disparities were. 
then they thought, well, wouldn't it be cool for the students to, for themselves to identify what were some health, social determinants of health in their own communities? So they participated in a photo voice project where they gave young people cameras to go out and take photos of what they saw in their communities that were positive and negative contributors to the health of their own communities. Once the young adults went out and did that, they came back and printed out the photos and they had the opportunity to kind of reflect and think about that. And no one had ever asked them, (laughs) what does health mean in your community? And it was such a powerful imagery that came out through the pictures and the young people were able to describe their own lived experience. And at the end of the project, we had community leaders, folks from health institutions at the Joint Medical Program and at UCSF come and hear from the young people their lived experience. So I thought it was so powerful because it provided an opportunity, again, making a space for people within the community to take some agency and to talk about what was positive and what were some things that were really challenging in their neighborhoods around health. And it also gave our students the opportunity to learn about what health meant to these people. They would not know because they don't live in those neighborhoods, but they're training in some of those neighborhoods. So it gave an opportunity beyond the clinical encounter to think about that. It provided more agency for young people to talk to elected officials and to talk to leadership leaders in the community about what that meant. And so I I thought that was a really cool and beautiful opportunity for um, and sparked the interest of of these young adults and to potentially think, well, what is what could health mean and how could they contribute? Maybe education wise, maybe health career wise, you know, what were some of the possibilities? What did it mean to address health in, in their own communities? That sounds like an amazing partnership of, you know, the students are coming in to share their knowledge about health professions pathways and health professions careers. And then really it turns around and they just gain so much knowledge about the experience in the communities. That's beautiful. It truly is so bi-directional, just like you mentioned, Aisha, like kind of learning the empowerment, the agency, the sharing of wisdom, kind of both ways. It's wow. I feel very warm inside just hearing that that uh, kind of summary of it. Well, uh, Molly, should we move on to our next case? What do you think? Yeah, I think we should. Do you want to go for it? Do you want me to read it? Sure. Um, So Dwayne is a fourth-year medical student who's very interested in working in underserved communities. He's heard about student-run free clinics at other institutions and think they sound like amazing initiatives. He's interested in encouraging his school to start one of these clinics or at least offer more opportunities for community engagement projects. So Aisha, you already mentioned that student voices are really important in encouraging leadership to support these initiatives and really encouraging these to continue. Um, how, how are some other ways that learners can be drivers of community engagement? I think encouraging, again, the voice, encouraging that they want to have different opportunities and experiential learning, I think, is a, is a beautiful modality to think about relationships and individuals. I think... Um, Asking about, like our institutions, there's a requirement from LCME accreditation, like that those institutions are supposed to offer opportunities for community engagement. And so asking our institutions, well, what are those opportunities? What are ways that I can get this type of learning experience? And then I think just, again, doing some homework in your own, where you're training, who are the community leaders, what um, initiatives or programs are already uh, taking place and how could I potentially 
engage or partner with an organization. I think student-run clinics, it gets a little bit more tricky because I think that becomes more, um, you know, and, uh, I think it's harder with student-run clinics to develop those because there's more at stake. And I think there needs to be a, an agreement and there's more logistical and bureaucratic hurdles to overcome. But um, I think finding a mentor and that would be another way there's a lot of faculty who are working outside of the clinical space, um, the clinical encounter, the office, and um, whether it's research or whether it's um, doing health education. And I think they can partner with some of those uh, educators to help support the work that they're doing. And Aisha, I can imagine that many of those mentors that the students find are probably also reaching out to you and uh, and probably trying to connect with folks who have been doing this work and how um, and kind of pushing it forward. And I wonder, can you um, maybe, I guess it's a two-part question, is one, could you share some examples of student uh, kind of organized, student-driven projects that were specific, that were especially successful that you can think of and just how that came about, you know, was there like a, an assessment tool that you shared with them to think about their project? Was it kind of the community partnerships that you had already established that you connected the student and their mentors with and kind of what made those particular student kind of designed or student maybe um, brought up projects specifically successful? And that's a good question. I, I I would have to say that I again identifying what are some of the barriers I think is really important ahead of time and working directly with a community partner at the very start of establishing a potential project because I think at that point is where you can identify where are some um, of the limitations to your engagement and then what are some resources that are needed. One really cool project was. A resident wanted to, knew that in the African-American community, there was high rates of cardiovascular disease. And so thought about going into barber shops and training uh, barbers to become health coaches and taking blood pressures. And so within that project, again, time constraints, financial constraints, but part, you know, looked for the resources within the institution to think about, well, how can I expand my breadth of engagement. And so looked for medical students who might be interested in that project. So I think assessing what resources you might have, whether there's grants you can apply at your institution, if you're limited in time, how can you engage other learners to help participate or other volunteers or other people who might be interested in the topic. And um, and then spending time with your community partner to think about, well, what is the best way of advancing? Is this something you're interested in? Um, when I give you the information about the health disparity, and it could this be a creative way of us thinking about addressing it? So just taking the time and gaining resources, gaining participation, gaining thought partners. And again, I think what people want to do is hurry up and make it happen really quickly. But I think there's a lot of things that happen, whether there's not a lot of folks that can get trained right away. We don't have health coaches to do the training around how to take blood pressures. There's, so there's just things that come up. So just having opportunity to kind of pause and think about smaller benchmarks of success along the way is key. Wonderful. Aisha, I just was wondering, um, you know, you spoke about how institutions are required um, to provide experiences engaging with the community. And 
I just wonder if you can speak a little bit more about this and maybe kind of locally how it's happening and how you've seen it uh, be successful, uh, be there either regionally or even nationally as well. What what I love is that um, UCSF has the Center for Community Engagement. And what that organizational program does is allows for a backbone and allows for uh, training and support around linkages, around best practices in community engagement, and helps support opportunities for community-engaged projects, uh, whether that research, whether that be student projects, whether it be community requests for support around health fairs. So I think that that happens. Uh, I know our institution has uh, at UCSF has student-run clinics, and there's cultural affinity groups that definitely support uh, community outreach and community work. And what I think is key with the Center for Community Engagement is there is a backbone. There's an organization or an established program that is supporting institutional best practices and providing also resources. The Center for Community Engagement uh, offers grants for community partnerships to support the work that they're doing. So I think having an organization or having institutional buy-in by having a center or having folks that are experts in this and can really provide best practices and and implement policies and procedures, whether it's around payment, (laughs) whether it's around even thinking about a community faculty. (laughs) How do we elevate the expertise of our community partners in in the teaching spaces and designating a a faculty designation space for them as they are experts in their own lived experiences and in the work that the community does. So I would say that um, we're fortunate at UCSF to have some support through the Center for Community Engagement and through student-run clinics. And again, the cultural affinity spaces really support that work. That's wonderful. When you think about kind of an ideal community engagement curricula or kind of how this would ideally play out in your mind across health professions educations, what would that look like for you? I would love to have every student have a longitudinal interprofessional experience um, with a community organization or centering around a topic where they focus on advocacy and uplifting the voices of historically marginalized communities um, and really sh- highlighting the expertise within a community. So I think it would be to have a longitudinal experience where we're thinking about how not only to address health inequities, but what are ways that we can reform our systems, our health institutions, our clinical encounters that make those spaces feel more inviting and equitable. And also uh, those, the curriculum should be co-led with community leaders, with that community voice. Aisha, I love that. That's an incredible vision. And maybe to kind of orient us, how do you feel like we're doing on the way to that ideal? You know, it sounds like you had mentioned it would be awesome to have community partners who are faculty or who are kind of part of the institution. And, you know, what maybe what uh, current steps are being taken to get to your incredible vision and your ideal for the future? Uh, I think that's something new for uh, different institutions of what levels of engagement we have for community expertise to come in. And I think there's the wonderful conversations that are happening that are exploring what that can look like. But I think it has to be done in an equitable way. And again, it takes some time to think about from not only our institution's perspective, but from a community perspective, what does taking the community expertise into the uh, the curricular space 
What does that look like? So I think those conversations are starting to happen, which is really exciting. I do know that there's many opportunities where community leaders and members come in and offer uh, their expertise in some of our um, lecture settings. But I do think even taking it one step further and thinking about that, um, I think those conversations are starting to happen. So it's really exciting. Uh, exciting times. This has been amazing. Thank you. Do you have some main take-home points that you would like our listeners to have? Um, I just would say that community engagement really um, it highlights the voices and experience of those affected by health disparities and keeping those voices and experiences at the center of the dialogue is essential to the development of viable and, and innovative and transformative solutions. And I think it's important to deconstruct knowledge hierarchy and power imbalances. And I think this is a way that we address racist systems that have proven very detrimental to impact the quality of care and health outcomes. And improving health can't be done in silos or alone, but I think building healthy individuals and communities is best done in partnership. And I think to do that, if we approach our partners or community members with culture, humility, respectful communication, um, agreed upon goals, I think we could get there. I think you are inspiring all of us. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I feel like there's a community engagement revolution on its way. We're going to just uh, break down things and start over and use the the frameworks that you taught us, Aisha. Is there, you know, thinking about things that you might want to plug, are there particular resources that you use to like keep yourself as sharp and engaged as, as, you, as you are or anything in particular that you, you want to plug for the listeners? I think I just, I, I try to keep a, a pulse on what's happening in the community and making sure that I, I don't get siloed in, in my own institution and make sure that I'm I'm hearing and listening. I think that's huge. So I, I would say being a part of community initiatives and community meetings is really important. Um, there's organizations that think about toolkits and best practices like community campus partnerships and health. The AAMC has a Center for Health Justice that creates toolkits. So I think those two things can be tangible, you know, tools. And I think looking at the Center for Community Engagement, who does this work on a daily in and out in the research and academic and the financial realm uh, is another key place to go to, to see what's taking place and what are some innovations that are happening. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Aisha. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Well, that was a great conversation, Ira. Do you have some main take-home points or things that you're going to try to incorporate into your educational approach? Yeah, I think I just needed to hear Aisha say it again, just the power of community engagement projects and how incredible they really are and how I really wish I had this when I was uh, in medical school and residency. But I was just blown away by the power of these initiatives that she has been a part of, how bi-directional they are in terms of the experience, how the community members are able to share their uh, knowledge, their wisdom, their perspectives, and how kind of there's this really upholding of the uh, community uh, and the cultural humility of understanding that these are incredibly powerful perspectives. And so I just... I was really blown away by it and inspired and just um, the examples that she shared really kind of put all those tips that she gave us into action. So lots to lots to use and, and hopefully incorporate. Absolutely. I, I loved her point that we in health professions can't try to reduce social disparities without really understanding what the background of the community is and what the strengths of the community are. And that if we want to try to 
you know, improve the health of everyone, we need to get back into the community and learn from the experts there. And and so I think just so powerful and it sounds like really wonderful learning options for for medical students and for residents to get involved in community engagement. And I, I think she, like many of our guests, have just inspired me to think more broadly about how we can improve medical education as a whole. And there are just so many ways that we can try to push ourselves and push the broader system to do a better job. I agree. And one more pa- pause, which is that Aisha, I feel like, told us to pause and slow down and and I just love how much she highlighted the power of reflection because I think we talk about it, but we don't often do it as much. And the role of it in community engagement projects really just kind of blew me away. So we have so much that we can talk about and hear and dialogue with the community who have experienced this. And just like you said, all the strengths and perspectives there. This has been another episode of our Curbsiders miniseries, The Curbsiders Teach. Get your show notes at thecurbsiders.com slash teach. A special thanks to Dr. Matt Watto and Dr. Paul Williams for their support in this project. Thanks to Dr. Stuart Brigham for composing our theme music. And thanks to Claire Morgan of Notterly for editing our audio. We have a great social media team. Andrew Delat is on Instagram and John Ung is on Twitter. So check out our presence. We're committed to providing you with high value practice changing knowledge. And to do so, we need your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or contact us at thecurbsidersteach at gmail.com. And a reminder that this and most episodes are available for free CME credit for all healthcare professionals at curbsiders.vcuhealth.org. All you have to do is create an account. I'm Dr. Ira Krasnowska. And I'm Dr. Molly Hoyblein. Thank you for joining us today and letting us bring you a little nugget of medical edutainment. Until next time. 